You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 83 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we talk about everything iPhone, iPad, Apple, Mac related. Joining me is Mikey Campbell. Hola. Aloha. What's up? How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I am glad to hear it. Dude, I want to start off by talking about deals. I want to let all of our listeners in the U.S. know that it's possible to get $100 off 2016 12-inch MacBooks and 30% off free shipping at Zag and 2012-inch 13-inch MacBook Pro for $795. So... Basically, you can snap up triple-digit savings on a 2016 12-inch MacBook, which is pretty cool because it's a hot machine. Uh, B&H is taking $100 off select configurations with free shipping. On top of the instant cash savings, B&H does not collect sales tax on orders shipped outside New York, and you're on your own paying your sales tax to your own state for that. So basically, shoppers outside of New York can save around $204 to $228 compared to paying full price with tax at the Apple Store. Uh, to wit, basically all of the 12 inch MacBooks in space gray, gold, silver, space gray, you know, the, the 1.1 gigahertz, the 1.2 gigahertz in the, the 256 gig configurations, the 512 gig configurations, you are saving money and you can add Apple care for any of these for the discounted rate of $199, which is $50 off for limited time. So go to our website and I'm going to put the link in the show notes and check this out. If you're in the market for a MacBook, now is your time. Mikey, yes. did you hear that Apple acquired a digital records firm? I did. I did. How do you pronounce the name of this firm? I would, I would guess Glimpse. Yeah, it's spelled G-L-I-I-M-P-S-E. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what's the speculation here? Why, why did they buy them? Well, I mean, it does, it, it fits in with their whole health initiative. Um, if you remember back a few months ago or a couple months ago, maybe they did a, uh, expose kind of thing on health kit and, um, Apple watch and all that good stuff. And, uh, basically what Apple did with Apple watch was, um, they created this ecosystem because of a kind of a quest by Steve Jobs, the late, the late great co-founder um, of Apple. And he went through the U.S. healthcare system, right, and, and uh, dealing with his cancer. Um, and he tasked his top executives at. Uh, at, at Apple to try to figure out how to streamline things, you know, how to, how to better aggregate patient data, how to share it with, um, doctors and health practitioners and, and how to even collect that data. Apple watches is a product of that kind of, um, gauntlet that, that, uh, jobs threw down. So, um, so basically this is just kind of an extension of it, right? This is actually more to the point 
of what Jobs wanted mm-hmm. than, you know, say a, a health kit or an Apple Watch. Right. Health so, kit, you know, aggregates your data, and you know that that's part of the that's part of the dream. Apple right, Watch. But that's aggregating data that it's it's observing, right? This that's data that it's recording. Right. And right. And uh, so what Glimpse does, or what um, you know, as a startup, what their idea was was to bring together the various record systems, the health record systems, to kind of unify them. Right. That that was kind of their main reason for being. And and and, and we should point out that in the U.S., the electric electronic medical records business is kind of a nightmare. Yeah, it's basically run by two or three um, really, really big firms or networks. And all of the products that are used for for this, all three of those, pretty much suck. Yeah. And, you know, what's what's worse than that is that they get reconfigured for each new install. You know, each hospital does something a little differently. And so all of these things that are already unwieldy because they have to try and satisfy too many different people, right? Satisfy regulations, satisfy hospital admins, satisfy the end users, satisfy what the engineers think. It's, it's too many different thing, competing stakeholders. And, and, and so basically every person that I've ever talked to, every nurse, every doctor that I've ever talked to basically are frustrated at the very thing that they're dealing with with electronic medical records. The EMRs are nightmares. The doctors basically have been reduced to uh, record takers, data entry techs, and all of the nurses that I've talked to can't stand them. Yeah. And they're all incompatible with each other. Yeah. And they they could be compatible with each other, but there's money in keeping them incompatible because it requires consultants and it requires fees to try and make them compatible. And there's lock-in. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, the, yeah, they, they want you to use that system and they don't want they don't want it to be there. There's really no upside for the uh, record networks to make their products compatible with each other. Right. So, so this glimpse was founded by one time Apple engineer, Anil Sethi. And the mission there was to eliminate these issues linked to information being scattered across multiple healthcare providers with no way to share or access that information between the caretakers, the emergency personnel or patients. Mm hmm. So they got to untangle field-specific terms and units. They got to untangle the EMR records that aren't compatible. And then they got to condense them all into some kind of standardized coded elements for patient or provider to be able to actually easily glean and understand the information and trends there. Right. Right? So this is really interesting. I mean, obviously there's implications of Apple stepping even further into the health industry, but... Um, well, they hired an attorney, right? They 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 got. Yeah, I mean, well, they, they've had they've had their consultants and they, they've experience, right? Yeah, they've had they've hired uh, you know uh, a, a bunch of experts in the field, but you know who, who have experience with the FDA and you know all, all kind of regulatory agencies. But I don't know. Do you think that this is a play for? Um, for a, a product that's going to be outside of Apple's ecosystem, like a, like, it, are they going to try to bridge the gap between, you know, the the monopoly, the uh, EMR monopolies? Are they going to do that, or are they just going to use this technology to create, you know, an insulated iOS only ecosystem um, kind of service to bolster I, to bolster HealthKit? 
I think that we are not going to see an insulated iOS only kind of thing to bolster HealthKit. It, 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 that may be a byproduct, but if you remember, ResearchKit was open sourced. And the goal with ResearchKit was to open it up to researchers and, and to make it accessible so that, that people could use these devices, these Apple devices, as a convenient way of data collection to support their research. But the goal was not make people use iPhones. The goal was support research. Right. And, and here, the goal is not make people use Apple Watch or iPhones or things like that. Here, the goal would be something like fix the broken EMR systems of the world so that patients and doctors get better, more relevant, more useful information immediately. Of, of course, when they do that, it comes back to Apple's products. So, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win. Well, it, you say that speculatively because we don't really know what's going on here, but I want to point out that Swift, as a programming language, for example, is open source and can be written on anything, mm-hmm. right? That ResearchKit is, is available to everyone, and, and sure, right now it's using iOS stuff, but there's nothing that says it can't go beyond that. Right. But I, Apple, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that... I mean, at the end of the day, Apple's a corporation, and they're not going to create a product. They're not going to sink resources and energy and time and money into creating something out of the goodness of their of their heart, because they don't have a heart. It's a, it's a company, right? So, it, I mean, at the end of the it's something there's there's that it has something that will drive people towards Apple products, whether, you know, overtly or, um, you know, subconsciously, or maybe just as a, as a byproduct of the service being out there. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that because, Hey, that's what they ought to be doing as a company is, is increasing their profits and increasing well, stockholder, their, I would be, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Are you a stockholder? No, I can't. Okay. Um, I, I would say that Apple is is involved in a number of different things that if they were purely all about their pro- profit motive, it would not make sense for them to be exploring. Why why would they have done research kit and open sourced it? Good PR. Oh, okay, fine. It's a big effort for good PR. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that it's purely for profit. They can I, it can serve both worlds. Okay, but Apple is that. Apple is a company that banks on image, right? For I mean, decades. It is a, it's an image brand. iPhone is an iconic device. Mac is an iconic device, and it the software is just an extension of those hardware products. Yeah. And uh, you know things like Research Kit and Care Kit, which is kind of cool as well. I don't know if you've played around with any apps written on Care Kit, um, but I mean those those things. Um, are just yeah, they're not just you know for PR purposes, but they do serve them very well. The, I'm I'm sure they do serve them very well, but I think the goal here is is that the that that the healthcare situation is is atrocious. That there's a lot of room for improvement, and if Apple can step in and fix that, then this is great for Apple, and it's great for users. It's great for basically anyone. Oh yeah, I'm not arguing. You know, the that. idea of of if you donated your health data anonymized, for example, to a national health graph, and analytical algorithms could compare with similar patients and help your doctor diagnose you better, 
simply because your doctor doesn't have resources that, that allow him to access a national health graph. Um, that benefits everyone, whether you're an iOS user or not. Yep. I think that's huge. You know, and, and if you and I were talking about a company that just did only that, right? That, that had research kit, health kit, care kit, and, and this glimpse bundled as one big thing. You and I, and it, it would be a huge thing, wouldn't it? It'd be a big company, right? We'd be talking about it like we talk about uh, Google's efforts with the Lazarus projects. Yeah. Right. Where, where Google has been, you know, and, and had an alphabet company that was focused all about trying to extend the human lifespan. Well. For Sergey Brin <laughs> and Larry Page, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. But but you know, as a byproduct, everyone else gets to also extend, maybe, maybe. But the the point here is, is we would be talking about that as it's hu- as a huge thing. This is a big deal coming from a company that makes your phone. Yeah, it's kind of expected. The past couple years, the way Apple's been going that they would uh, step into this ultimately because that was one of the, that was one of the uh, baseline goals, right? Right. So, so there's this healthcare section. There's also a payments section via Apple pay, mm-hmm. right? Payments is a big thing. Payment companies on their own isolated are a big deal. Verifone is a big deal. Ingenico is a big deal, right? You know, they, the, all the stuff gets processed through those machines. And yet Apple here has taken a chunk of that too. And we talk about Apple's a transportation company, right? So Mm -hmm. Apple is all of these things, and each one on their own would be impressive. Yeah. I mean, I I guess what, what, what else would you do when you have, I mean, so much, so much capital and so much, so much funding power and so much sway in the world? It's kind of, I feel like, uh, I mean, you know, when it, it's kind of the same thing, the same kind of diversification companies like GE and Exxon and you know, Exxon Mobil and those those huge, huge corporations have have done in the past. They, there is a point where their product is just so ridiculously successful that it's hard for them to grow from there. So they just expand into everything. I'm just saying that it it for for a company that gets picked on regularly for being unable to innovate. Uh, I don't know. Look at all the different fields they're in. I, I, I don't even. I don't think those articles that I think there's just clickbait. I don't even think the authors of those articles actually believe what they're writing. And if they do believe it, then it's it's absurd because the definition of innovation is not you know. They they innovate with every single iteration of iOS, including the very most recent one. Objective, so I mean subjective. So it's I mean you know it's those I I would not give much thought into Apple not being able to innovate. Whenever I see a headline that has Apple and innovate in it, I immediately click away or just gloss over it. Look away, look away. It's ridiculous. But the, thankfully, they've kind of toned it down recently. I haven't really seen yeah. one in, in a few yeah. months. You, you've been doing good at avoidance. They come up every day. So, all right, I'm, I'm going to move on. Let's talk about a story you wrote about briefly. Let's just run through the iPhone rumors. 
you wrote, you, sir, that Apple is again rumored to axe the home button mm -hmm. in 2017. Mm -hmm. You're telling me there's no home button. Well, that's the, I mean, the, there's been whispers about this for the past five years, right? Right. Um, because, I mean, who likes buttons? I do. Yes. Uh, I guess some people don't. I don't know. Um, but the, the whole deal is that Apple has been probably most likely working on replacing the home button with a, with a software analog or something similar, uh, you know, for the better part of a better part of a decade. I mean, if you go back to the iPod touch, um, do you remember, uh, there, there were, there were rumors at the time when, uh, the, right before the, the touch came out that Apple would, um, they would have a virtual click wheel, kind of like an overlay on top of the, uh, as, as a UI. Right. But we, we tested all that with software click wheels and we found that sucked. Yeah. So instead they introduced the home button basically and, uh, kind of a vertical, vertical UI scheme with the, you know, tiers and stacks and all that good stuff. But, um, this is kind of like the next evolution. They're going to supposedly get rid of the home button. Um, not sure what they're going to replace it with. Maybe a virtual button or maybe just some sort of gesture that you, uh, that you would uh, return to the home screen. But iOS is, uh, it, it'd be hard to implement because iOS is based on the home button. It's based around the home button. Without the home button, there are oh. many things you can't do. Right, but you're, you're mistaken in that if you go to settings and turn on the uh, assistive technology, right, assistive touch, you get a virtual home button drawn on the screen. Yeah, no, I'm not. Which yes, I've done that's, for everyone that's ever come to me with a broken iPhone with a broken home button. Yes, turn but that, that sucker on and carry on. But that's a home button. It's a, just, just a virtual one. I mean, yes. I'm saying, like, if you delete the idea of a home button, like the then function. you've got to rethink iOS. Yeah, so it's, it's a, it would be a rethinking. But um, I don't so think I'm they're going to go that far because... Well, this is, this is 2017, so they've got a year to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so this year, supposedly, they're going to do what I like to call the Force Touch ID. Um, it's a pressure-sensitive, kind of solid-state uh, home button. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the one, yeah. Kind of like the Force Touch uh, trackpad and um, the well, Force, Force Touch, Touch that's built into the watch and the watch the and yeah, phone. yeah, yeah. And it's an extension of the the phone, the phone's haptic 3D touch, I guess. Right, but you, would you have to hold longer for it to activate? Because the whole thing about the uh, the updated iPhone 6s was that you could you could have it almost be too fast. Well, I mean, the, uh, Which the way, the way touch ID works is it, it's a, it has a proximity sensor in the, uh, steel ring around it. Yeah. It's not just there for decoration, right? It, it's there. It, it provides a current. So the, well, it closes the circuit with your phone, with your thumb, right? It's yeah. touch capacitive. Right. And it also acts as a, as a trigger for touch ID. So with this supposed force touch ID, they would still have that ring there. Um, and I guess they could work out through software and testing when a user puts their thumb or, you know, forefinger on the sensor, um, therefore completing the unlock sequence. 
but it's going to be much harder when they delete the home button because, um, or you know, if they do delete it, because where are people going to place their finger? It could be, <clears throat> it could be um, there. They do have patents for uh, whole screen sensors that you know basically turn turns the display into a sensor itself, mm-hmm. um, and that that could be a, a thing. You just you know put your thumb anywhere on the display, and it the the whole display becomes a Touch ID. That'd be cool. Sensor, yeah. And then we're also seeing reports about things like 256 gig, and, and we're still seeing the dual camera and the 5.5 inch. And Yeah, I, th- I think the 5.5 inch will have a dual camera, and I think they are going to limit it just to that model. You getting one of those? Uh, I'll get one to test and, again, try to convince myself that it's worth it, but I don't know. You, you I keep just, reverting to the 4.7 inch. Don't yeah, you? I can't. Anything above that is just too big. I, I even think the 4.7 is too big. You're mad. You know, it'd be great. A 4.7 inch without the chin and forehead, you know, where the home button is and the speaker. If they you want the outer that, dimension size to be the same, but you want to grow the screen within it. No, no. I want the uh, chassis to shrink down to the size of the 4.7 inch. Display. Oh, oh, right. So it's just a display. But that that size would be very nice, I think. That's hmm. not where we're going to get at. Yeah, uh, we're, we're not there yet. But but next year, next year is the year. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been asking, should I wait? Or, you know, should I? is this iPhone I think, going to be worth it? And I don't know. I think the waiting period game is over. And I think it's over because the idea of two-year contracts is pretty much over. Yeah, people still, I don't know, they've been trained the, I, I, but, I but tell them about the, you know, they can do the, uh, the yearly upgrade thing. I mean, there's all kinds of plans out there. Even Apple has one. Which I'm doing now. Right. But they, that's, that's don't, my they, next they don't move. trust it. My <laughs> contract with, for my two-year contract is up in October. And I think I'm going to short-circuit that a little bit, even by as soon as the new one's coming. I'm going to go and, and get on the Apple upgrade plan. And the nice thing will be that I won't be beholden to any of the carriers. Be able to I would, I would like carrier. to do that as well. But that's the, think, the notion of being in hoc to a carrier for two years is a dead notion. It's not for me because I have my grandfathered plan that I'm still clutching onto. Yes, you're going to. Although they've been offering un, your your provider, your carrier has been offering unlimited data. Again. Yeah. People. Yeah. But new people though, right? To, to new customers, yeah. yeah. I'm not new. You can be. I guess I could. <laughs> uh, um, although those, those unlimited plans have caps and things that I don't think yours does. Yeah. I like mine. It's like they forgot about us. Us few. Well, they, not, not for four. They abused you for two years. Um, actually, so, I didn't get listeners, that. Listeners, let's, let's, let's recap for people who don't know the backstory here. Way back when, in 2007, when you first got an iPhone, you were on AT&T. And when you got an AT&T iPhone back then, you got unlimited data at 2G speeds. And when you got an iPhone 3G, you got them at 3G speeds. And when the iPhone 4 came out and they started talking about FaceTime calling, AT&T did two things. First of all, they ended all unlimited plans as much as they could, and they grandfathered the few people they could they, they, that had to do grandfather plans. 
And then they said that unlimited data isn't really unlimited. It's only unlimited for web browsing. That if you wanted to do FaceTime calling, if you wanted to do music streaming or anything else, they were going to limit you. And it took a while. It took about two years for the FCC to smack them down and say, no, you can't limit your unlimited plans, fools. And uh, it was during that time where Mikey kept his grandfathered plan and suffered the abuse. Where I went ahead and ditched and moved to a different carrier. Well, it was tough. I mean, it was a tough decision. Who who would know that the iPhone would be such a hit and would spark a revolution that would, uh, you know, that would drive these data hog devices, right? At the time, well, AT&T was like, sure, unlimited 2G data, go ahead. Yeah, why not? We don't care. Well, you know, three, uh, 3G got you know, a little worried. And then uh, they had to up capacity with, with 4G and, you know, the 4G devices, it spurred even more data usage because people can stream videos and stuff. So uh, they, uh, they took the bet and uh, tried to, uh, they tried to stack the deck. Well, they, they got in the weird position of being a service provider that doesn't want its most dedicated users to use their service. Yeah, because why not when you can have so many more? Yeah. So I want to move on. I want to talk about this iOS 9.3.5 patch. Mm-hmm. Ha- have you installed 9.3.5? Were you able to? Uh, I'm running 10. You're running 10. Okay, so if you got the next 10 beta, then you got the patch in it. Yeah. Basically, iOS 9.3 has been updated to 9.3.5 because last week there was a remote exploit that is a remote hack and and basically what it was was that if someone sent you a link in an sms message that people who tapped on the link would be subject to a, a very unique silent attack that would basically own your phone it was a remote jailbreak that appears to intercept every call, intercept every text message, steal the emails, the contacts, the FaceTime calls, steals everything in your Gmail, records your WhatsApp, Viber, WeChat, and everything. And this was uh, discovered as a result of the attack being sent to a, a human rights activist. And basically, all of this, all of this happens through a single tap. After the target taps on the link, the iPhone is jailbroken, and all of the monitoring and data theft suites are installed. And basically, it just keeps escalating its permissions until it can own all of the stuff there. And uh, Apple saw it, caught it, and within 10 days has patched it. Do you normally click on links from weird numbers? Usually not. I do it all the time, because I live on the edge. Well, I know. But, uh, you know, when I, I, first of all, I don't usually get texts from stray numbers. Yeah, I don't either. Although. And, and second of all, if I do, I reply stop. My, well, I just. Because that fools most of the, that, that works with most of the uh, over the top services that try and send you text services. I just, I think I have like two numbers blocked. And I think that's it. Although m- there was that rash of, uh, iPhone, Robo, whatever, recently. Right. Well, I get a lot of weird stray calls from online pharmacies that I have no business with. Mm. And I get a lot of stray phone calls from, um, from other things like that. But, and, and also from, from some of our more aggressive listeners. 
but uh, that's about all I've got. Why, why don't you? Uh, why don't you tell us your number? You know, send you some uh, some nice mail, not hate mail, of course, but thank you. Words of. But but this is interesting because Google and Apple have have joined in a part of a, a sort of um, a cooperative, let's say, to try and end robocalling. To try and, and big, you know, Google, because they have Google Voice and because they have Android phones, can do a lot to, to research robocalls and Apple the same. And so between the two of them, is there any reason they can't end robocalling? Nope. Although, would you argue that people who have landlines are more susceptible to uh, being caught with a robocall? I feel like that demographic is the demographic the robocallers are going for. Um, I, th- there is certainly a thing where people who are elderly or, or otherwise, um, spend a lot of time at home without an occupation can answer the phone and, and be had by scams like that. How dare you? That second category is me. Well, Mikey, I think the results speak for themselves. But it, it, the, the the greater point was that Apple updated iOS to patch this and block the attack, and that the vast majority of users will not be impacted at all. Yep. And and that of course they're also patching not just nine point three point five, but they that have also gone ahead and patched all of the iOS ten betas. So there you go. Yeah, and uh, as for iOS ten beta, looking good, looking good. Yeah, you like it? Are you on beta seven? Yep, it's working well. Nice. I keep thinking that I'll update to the betas, except that there's almost no point at this time. Yeah, you only have may as well just hold out less than a month to wait, or a month maybe. Well, speaking of thieves and criminals and other dastardly types, I I have a question for you. Mm. Your your phone, you use your fingerprint, right? I do. Okay, so here's a dumb question: If your phone is stolen. Why can't it use the fingerprint sensor to record someone else's fingerprint and ostensibly help capture the thief? Funny you ask. I just wrote an article about that. Tell me more. Uh, So Apple has a patent uh, application that basically does what you just said. It takes an unauthorized user's fingerprint, stores it, and, you know, maybe sends it up to a server for further analysis Maybe and, also uses the camera at the same time as it yeah. captures the fingerprint. Yeah, I mean, it, well, of course, I mean, every single a- Apple patent mentions all the sensors, even you know, like weird sensors that are the gyroscope. No, like Dude. stuff that measures the Earth's magnetic, like like magnetometers, but okay on steroids. Anyway, so um, yeah, so it, it takes the fingerprint makes a snapshot maybe, records some audio, GPS, location data, um, and then that can potentially be used to track down your iPhone, uh, prosecute a thief maybe, um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it also opens a huge can of worms as far as the legality of doing, of, of capturing someone's fingerprint without their permission. But yeah. There it is. Good point. And, and we, you know, of course, it's all hypothetical at this point. You, the patent exists, it's not been implemented, and it's also not been tested with admissibility in court. 
What is interesting uh, as I was writing that is that Apple does think about storing fingerprints and obviously they have that capability, right? Um, the way touch ID works, it doesn't store your, your fingerprint, uh, per se, right. In the secure enclave. It doesn't, it doesn't store like a, do you remember when touch ID first came out? There were concerns that the, um, that iPhone had an image of your, of your fingerprint stored somewhere. The data that they record cannot recreate your fingerprint. Yes. It's not, it's analogous, but it is not a direct representation of your, of your fingerprint. But what Apple is saying here is that they would record the fingerprint. And what's interesting is that if it was like a partial, like a partial fingerprint, Mm -hmm. it can, it would be smart enough to collect multiple attempts to rec- to uh, compile a uh, full fingerprint the and then and then you know and then send it up to the server or whatever check it against a database and whatnot which is kind of scary for privacy advocates that apple would be thinking about uh creating and maintaining a database of user fingerprints but it's probably not going to happen, so well, don't worry about it. So within Apple, we should we should point out that within Apple there is a privacy group, and the privacy group has veto power over any future. The czars, the they pretty czars. much do though, right? I mean, if if we're talking about all the cool things that Apple can do with this, uh, with the with the fingerprint sensor, with any of this stuff, they there there is the privacy group, and they veto. Right, and and this came up again in the uh, article that broke about uh, machine learning at Apple. Mm, yeah, you know, I I had a good friend who called me up, and he he said, you know, I don't know when the heck my iPhone learned to do this, but when I get in the car in the morning and turn it on, you know, turn on the car, my phone tells me how long it's going to take me to get to work. I was and, nine, and then when I get home. And I turn on, you know, when I, when I get to the, the office and I turn on the car, it tells me how long it's going to take to get home. How does it know all this stuff? And I said, well, dude, first of all, this has been around for a little bit. Second of all, Google does it too. Well, that is to be expected. Yes. Well, Google's been doing it for a little longer, but he said, you know, well, how can, can it tell me, you know, it's telling me that there's traffic going the way. Can it go ahead and get, offer me how to reroute around the traffic? And I told him, well, no, but you can use Google, you know, you can use Waze for that if you want. But um, yeah, it's going to get a little more eerie for him in iOS 10. So it will. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do like that. Fe- I um, I have the home feature, mm-hmm. uh, the home uh, widget installed or activated on my lock screen. It tells you time to home at basically any your, time. Your ETA, your estimated time of yeah. arrival at home. Yeah, I, I find that very convenient. Totally, and it's not just home. It's you know, it often yeah, you know, commonly visited areas like a Starbucks or something. Like if you're, I, I'm not really sure what the algorithm is, is how it chooses which location, the, that, places that you've been ETA to more than once. It figures out which ones are the popular ones for you, and yeah. then tells you your ETA yeah. to them. Yeah, usually it's just my it's just home for me. Um, actually, I think it's only home. I, I don't think it's ever recommended anything well where else do you go it's true it's telling me to get back home because that's where i belong yes but for this fella for my good friend it's gonna be a lot more creepy as you say because it's gonna give him a lot more information about 
where he is and where he's going next. Traffic routing in iOS 10 maps. Yes. Although that doesn't it it doesn't really work that well in uh, Hawaii because we lack, you're an island. Well, we lack the road sensors and stuff. We lack the infrastructure. It would mm-hmm. have to be a ways kind of thing with a crowdsourced data. The crowdsourced data works reasonably well on Waze, yeah. though. I mean, Waze, yeah. is, Waze, Waze launched on iPhone before it was ever bought by Google. Yeah. And I'm really actually surprised really at how popular it is here. There's, there are quite a few Wazers. Uh, it's, it's very popular. Um, when I get into taxi cabs, when I uh, travel overseas, they, the taxi cab drivers ask me when I get in, do you want me to go my way or do you want to use Waze? Hmm. And I say, go ahead and use Waze. I usually tell them to go, oh. What? Oh, no. I said the server. Did you guys see that message on screen? Well, I wasn't looking at the message. I'm uh, looking at the articles. Anyway, uh, is this still recording? Yeah. Oh. Still says recording. It said a lost connection to the server. Anyway. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 uh, you, don't, you, don't trust, you don't trust your, your uh, fellow taxi man. Okay, so they might have the the local scoops. Let's let's put it like this, right? So in in Israel, there are plenty of cab drivers who really have no idea. I mean, there are many who do know very well where they're going, but there are many that I've gotten in the car and they go, "Right, where is that?" I'm like, "Just ways." Just oh, go so ahead you and use it. Uber? <laughs> no, these are these are just regular cab drivers. Um, but in in London, for example, the black cab drivers are supposed to have what's called, quote-unquote, the knowledge, mm. right? They're supposed to be tested on every, basically knowing every street in the city yeah. and knowing how to get from one to the other without any trouble, without any assistance. And uh, one of their We big, should note that that was not a uh, racial slur. The cabs are actually black. Stop that. I'm don't just saying. That. No, don't do that. You never know. Just cover our bases. <sighs> For heaven's sakes. So... The London cab drivers, the London black cab drivers, because the cars are painted black, um, they they have the knowledge. And what this was their protest over Uber drivers is that Ubers don't have any of that training. Those drivers just get in and rely on their phone. And and it turns out that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it depends. I used both when I was in London. Um, the uh, The Ubers were... I would say I would say the knowledge level of the black cab drivers were was much higher. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean they they knew the back alleys and they knew everything. They knew the best way, time of day, traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, right, but, but mean, if all of that can be, can be replaced Uber. by by you know, right now Uber thinks that they can build their own map that will replace that, and right, and Uber is going to build their own map, and Uber is going to build their own self driving car and and replace all of this. But, you know, when you have something like Waze, where, the, where it's got all that together, can can Waze beat the knowledge of the, the driver? Maybe, but they can't beat the witty repartee. Really? You've had, you've had witty cab drivers? Yeah. When I was in London, almost every single cab driver that uh, I, uh, I used were, they were just good conversations. Happy dudes. I did not get that. Really? Really. Hmm. Maybe because uh, I look 
very non-threatening. I don't know. Or maybe because What's I was with yourself my lately. I don't know. Uh, well, that may be. She's non-threatening. Yeah. No. Yeah. So. So you've been running. You're running the iOS beta. So you run the Mac Sierra beta. No, I I have not. I usually don't run the Mac uh, betas on on my main machine, and I'm too lazy to install it on my other one, which I recently got back from Apple. Um, they did a GPU replacement on it. Nice. So. What machine was that? Uh, I think it was a two thousand eleven MacBook Pro. Okay. Cool. I uh, just I, I tried to install Sierra on a two thousand nine MacBook, mm. which is officially unsupported but can be made to work, and I didn't get very far. Oh. It was weird because Apple uh, they changed their uh, list of supported machines um, from when they announced it. Did you notice that? I did. I wonder what changed. It's weird because when they first posted the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the info stub, it had a like a, a whole bunch of Macs, and then I think like just a few hours later they updated it, and you know, two thousand nine is not included. Maybe they'll bring it. Maybe they'll bring it in into the fold. Maybe they're uh, working out some kinks. I don't think so. I think so. Sierra is heavily dependent on GPU, and and this is no great. This is no great change from the past. In, in every version of OS X, the graphics processing unit has been a huge part of it, even if we're going back to the old G4 PowerPC days. But um, they they really do require a good GPU that is, is more current than the NVIDIA 9400M that's in the uh, the old MacBook that I've got. Yeah. I think but we're just going to see more of that. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But what I wanted to talk about is the, uh, you know, the the idea of Thunderbolt three and the ten gigabit per second USB three point one generation two that appears to be in a key and string in Sierra. Yep. I don't know if I mean I'm not sure if that because it's a US that that generation of uh, USB three point one is included in the Thunderbolt spec. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with that. The right, Thunderbolt, that's, that's Thunderbolt three, 3 spec. Yeah. Right. So currently we have Thunderbolt two, which is good up to five hundred megabit per second. Is that right? No, five hundred. No. no. Straighten me out here. Uh, I think Gen two offers native speeds. No, let's see here. We're going to get this right. If you use it, okay. Uh, Gen one Thunderbolt. Right, right. Gen Gen one USB three point I'm gonna get this right. I'm gonna figure it out. If you do two channel down, it goes up to uh okay. twenty gigabits per second. Okay. So Gen one three point one is five gigabits per second and it's the same thing as USB three. Yeah. Gen two three point one is ten gigabits per second. Okay, so the stuff that we, but the stuff that we currently have available as 3.0 and in the current Thunderbolt 2 that we have is five gigabits per second. I think you can go. I think you can go twenty with the dual channel, depending on if you if you have the right 
hardware that is. Okay. If you have it, but I'm just saying if you it. used a USB three port, mm. if you right, mm. yeah, yeah right. five gigabits per second. Yeah, right, right. Okay. So what we're seeing in Sierra is the possibility for future Macs to be equipped to go ten gigabit per second. Yep. And and the usefulness here would be, you know, super fast storage peripherals that would be driving really good displays, like 5K displays, multiples of them. Indeed. Because you need that kind of data bandwidth to do that kind of cool stuff. Yeah. Anyone, uh, anyone want a new Thunderbolt display 2? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yep. Looks good. Looks good. I'd buy it, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'd buy it. I feel like I'd just buy an iMac. You might. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. We talked. We published a story this past week about how iPhone. You you can use your iPhone to see what political affiliation Facebook thinks that you have. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bring this up is we were talking about things that are creepy a few minutes ago, and we were talking about. Uh, you know, the idea of storing the fingerprint and things like that. And we were talking about the privacy SARS at Google, at, at uh, the privacy team at Apple that, that veto things that they think we, Apple should not store, right? So Facebook opened up its data stores telling users what data it was collecting on them in an effort to tailor what content and advertisements they see. However, they made it a little hard to find, right? So you have to open up the Facebook app on your phone. You have to select settings. You have to select account settings. You have to scroll down to ads. You have to manage preferences. You have to visit ad preferences, select more, select lifestyle and culture, scroll down all the way down to U.S. politics, and Facebook will tell you how they think you're going to vote. Yep. Now, I received a survey from Facebook not too long ago that asked me if I thought they were creepy at all on privacy. There's something that said, effectively, it was on a scale of one to five, um, do you think Facebook protects my privacy and is transparent or is not transparent and does not protect my privacy, basically? Mm. And I got to say... What, what did you say? Uh, at the time, I selected it is not transparent and does not protect my privacy at all. You changed it, man. You're the, you were the one. Not at all. Not at all. But uh, Facebook is, is creepy, right? Because Facebook collects information on you whether or not you actually use Facebook. You know, and they have in in the section of advertisers, they can upload your contact information to Facebook, review advertisers whose adverts you may see because you're in a contact list they uploaded to Facebook. You know, most people have no idea that they ever gave any permission to upload any information to Facebook. Yeah. That's how they make the money. And it's totally creepy for most people. I don't really use Facebook anymore. How did you extricate yourself from it? I don't know. I just stopped using it one day. I I don't think I've been on Facebook in a year. Yeah. If you if you delete all your cookies and you the the best way that I've found, you can try and delete your Facebook account, which does not delete your Facebook account. It only kind of puts it dormant. And you can send them a real laborious request to actually delete your Facebook account, and then they won't. Hmm. Basically. The best thing you can do, or one thing that I've seen other people do that's worked, is to just change your password to random keys pounded on the keyboard so you can't recover it well. Mm. And then log out, never log back in again, delete all your cookies. Reset your browser. Sounds good. 
And doing that will prevent you from going back into Facebook, basically, and will prevent it from snooping on you as much as you can help it these days. Yeah. I mean, I don't, again, I don't really mind so much um, about the invasion of privacy. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of come to the internet with a mindset that wherever I go, I'll be tracked. Whatever I do is being watched. Um, and I'm kind of okay with that because yeah. I mean, yeah, I know a lot of people aren't. So. As, as long as you keep your software up to date, as long as you have reasonably careful habits about the, the links and SMSs that you don't click on, uh, you're you're doing a pretty good job of of protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really go to many. Uh, I do block a lot of cookies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's just part of the ad blocker that I use. Um, I don't. I don't uh, actively go out and clear my cookies every hour. I'm not that no. kind of guy. I'm kind of at a loss. You, you've never seen anyone like that before? No, I just think that, you know... Throws caution to the wind. There there are plenty of people that throw caution to the wind, but uh, generally, if you've developed good habits around stuff, then you're fine. The fact that you've developed lousy habits is a different matter. No, I think I think what you're doing is pretty typical, right? Yeah. Most people don't bother. Um, one of the things that a lot of people do complain about is Siri, right? Do you use Siri? Not really. No. No. Why? Because it never works right. Um, uh, I the things that I can do, I f- find that I can do it faster manually, hmm. um, and more accurately. Accurate is a key. Keyword, although it's uh, it's more accurate and consistent, consistently accurate with iOS ten. Mm. So perhaps I, I shall be using it more. I use Siri all the time, especially when I'm in the car. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. Reading text messages, placing calls, all that stuff I do hands free using Siri. And for the most part, it's accurate. Although there are some really terrible times with text messaging where I just have to say, "Don't send," and and give up. Because it doesn't get me. And and part of that's down to Siri and the back end. But as we understand from a machine learning article that ran in, in back channel in Bloomberg, that there basically Siri's been replaced inside and out, and on the back end it's now a neural network. Yes. And that, that basically the responses in, in the past have been stitched together from a database of recordings that the machine learning is going to smooth out the sentences and make the sounds more human and it's it's going to be less robotic and it's going to be more useful. Looking but forward I, to that. I, I was well I was a little surprised to learn from reading that article that one of the original founders of Siri is still at Apple that everyone else pretty much bailed but that guy stayed on. Is and, um yeah. You know, the machine learning comes into place in a lot of places, right? It comes into to play not just for Siri, but things like palm rejection for the Apple Pencil. Right. Now, yeah. on Twitter, when yeah, I was... It's, when it's I, used... All, Siri is way more than just Siri. Yeah, machine like, learning is every part of it. People don't realize that. It, it, Apple hasn't done a good job of kind of advertising that fact since... That you know, was this article advertising that fact. Yeah, I guess. 
Well, the the thing Apple's not helping things by saying they're pretty much referring to all machine learning efforts as Siri. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was looking in, at, at some of the people on Twitter saying this, there were people saying that you know they they are that that Apple is the last place you go if you're a machine learning expert. That if you've studied machine learning and you're, you're into it, that you want to go to Google, you want to go to Amazon, you want to go to these other places, and that Apple is your last resort. Because people don't realize that, that Apple is doing these things. But that they're also – the other reason that, that Apple is not attractive to machine learning students is that, first of all, Apple doesn't have a central machine learning group. And second of all, because Apple has the privacy SARS and Apple doesn't want to collect data – the machine learning ad advocates, the machine learning students and, and acolytes basically say, well, what, what the hell are we going to work with? Because we don't have data. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, for, for them, it's very much if you want to do machine learning, you must collect all the data. And so it's going to be interesting to see how Apple proceeds and how, how Apple's machine learning works out when they're having trouble attracting or when it seems like they're having trouble attracting talent for machine learning. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's an area of great interest, but the products that have come out of it so far have been underwhelming. Well, and, and part of that you can say is machine learning, and part of that you could just pin down on the quality of the microphones. Yeah. Right? If, if you have lousy mics, it's not going to hear you properly. And Siri... You know, when I'm using my car and it's plugged into the microphone that I have in the car, then I'm probably handicapping it. Okay. You know, in addition to the road noise, in addition to the the noise of the air conditioner blasting out of the vents nearby the mic, right? There are all kinds of good reasons why the car is a terrible environment. But Amazon has this problem too. You know, they have the Amazon Echo and they have 24 special microphones placed around the periphery of the thing. And it still mishears. I haven't used the Echo. I, Do you I, have one? No, I haven't used it. I hear it's it's pretty good. As far I have, as I have the Dot, it. which yeah. is the uh, the Echo with no speaker in it, basically. Um, how's the uh, voice uh, recognition? Uh, mixed. Hmm. But also, what's mixed is their machine learning because I I ask for specific things. And it understands that I'm relating to, you know, if I've, I've asked it, what's the humidity? Because I want to know, is it a humid day? Is it not a humid day, right? And what does it do? It understands that humidity is a part of a thing called weather. And so it gives me the weather report without the humidity. Yeah. Sounds like a basic, yep. basic uh, machine learning system. Yeah. It's not on the not yet on the level of a neural network in, yeah, by any means. Not as yet, and they keep improving it. But they send me emails every couple of days about how they've improved it. Great, and it's 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 sitting over there. It's plugged in, but it's not. Uh, it it's not something I go to every job day. and getting getting you to buy stuff. I have purchased one thing from it. It's not doing its job then. No, it's not. I keep using the Amazon app or. Uh, or the, uh, the website. All right. I want to wrap this up by talking about Tim Cook. You know, we talked about innovation. We talked about machine learning. We talked about the privacy group a number of times. People think that Tim Cook 
begin at Apple five years ago, basically. Mm. Right. Right. You know, Tim Cook's been CEO for five years as of August 24th. Right. But it's not really representative because Cook was prepared for the CEO role for years before that. Right. Uh, I wouldn't say he's, he was being groomed. He was one of the people being groomed, but I, I think, um, I don't know. It, it's just his nature, his unassuming nature. He's a very background. He's in the, he's a, in the background kind of guy, right? He's the, he's a supply chain guru. He's the guy that makes things work so smoothly. And he never really sought the limelight and never really was part of, you know, the, the, the guys that, that go on stage at WWDC. Um, mm. So I guess people just, you know, maybe knew that he worked there, <laughs> obviously, but didn't really see him as a successor to Steve Jobs, who is ostensibly a very, maybe the polar opposite in terms of personality, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, well, but I mean, yeah. he took over from from operations. He became a de facto CEO in uh, 2009 for six months when Jobs was having surgery for pancreatic cancer, and that was back in the 3GS days. And then um, Jobs returned after his liver transplant and and held the CEO role again for a long while. But but Tim Cook was hand picked to be the successor of Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. right? And he came to Apple after being at Compaq for a very short while. But but basically, most of the experience comes from the 12 years he was at IBM, where he was a part of uh, North American Fulfillment. Yeah. And, and of course, anyone who serves at IBM is pretty obscure. Jobs hired him out of obscurity. And, uh, you know, Cook is not ashamed at all of this. He says, my most significant discovery so far in my life was the result of one single decision, joining Apple. The best decision he ever made. Well, yes. So he says. I would. I would think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. I mean, it's. I guess it's not surprising that someone with those kind of uh, supply chain chops would be picked for CEO of Apple, right? I mean, iPhone sales were booming, and they continued to boom. Um. And without someone like, like, let's say I kind of view it, uh, kind of like having to choose between an artist and a mathematician as leading a company, an artist perhaps in jobs would, he's the idea man, right? He comes up with a, with a dream, the vision, but there's someone that needs to affect that vision and turn it into, you know, a reality, which is a lot of money and you know with iphone already a success at that time um you know an ipad up and coming um and a bunch of stuff in the pipeline who better to lead the company than a person like tim cook and i i don't think it's fair to uh, compare him with with jobs as everyone does. And as you know, it's the obvious comparison, of course, um, as far as being an innovator and, uh, and whatnot. Well, that, that comes up a lot, right? People say that this yeah. wouldn't have happened under jobs. Well, 
or or that you know we haven't had any innovation under under Cook. The only thing we've had is the Apple Watch, and people are not happy about that so far. Yeah, but we have to remember how many how many innovative things, as people uh, describe innovative, hmm. uh, how many truly groundbreaking inventions has Apple made over the years? They're not. It's not a yearly thing. The Power Mac G4 Cube was awesome. I hate you. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it, it's it's not. Of course, we hear this. It's this repeated refrain that you know Tim Cook is. He's not an innovator. That's fine. He doesn't have to be the innovator. It. It's not. I mean, Cook. I mean, uh, Jobs was the driving force behind iPhone, right? Mm. Cook does not need to be the driving force behind whatever Apple's next big thing is going to be. You don't need to, the way that their company is set up, the way that, um, that they don't have departments per se. And in, in the traditional sense, they're not a traditional company. It's not like they need the idea man to be on top. Do you agree? I don't know. I don't. I. I just don't. I don't think that it's a fair comparison, and I don't think it's a valid one to make. Mostly, I think that I'm. I, I would say that that Apple, as as a part of of Jobs, arranging how things would work and and making sure that the culture of the company would carry on after him, was about splitting out these things so that people could handle it without him. Right? There's there's Eddie Q. There's Craig Federighi. Federighi there's Phil Schiller, there's Tim Cook, there's Johnny Ive, there's all these people handling all of these different areas that formerly, they were all still there, right? They were all working under Jobs, and Jobs was acting as a central thing to bring them all together. Now they can bring themselves together without without Jobs being around to do it for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, would things be wonderful if Jobs were still here? Sure, but, but that with all those people around, and when we get to the events and these people come up on stage, we really get a sense of, of what they're bringing to the table. Do you think that Apple, if Jobs were to still be around, hmm. do you think that Apple would have as much cash as it does now if Jobs was still in charge? I'm not saying that he would run the company to the ground, but do you think that, I don't know, There, it's like a sense of... Uh, they, I mean, the iPhone is Apple for all intents and purposes, right? It, it, it takes a lion's share. It generates a lion's share of profit. Yeah. Um, and revenue. Um, it's their, you know, obviously their best selling product. Uh, but do you think jobs would want, would have been aggressive in diverging away from the, you know, quote, laser, like laser focus on iPhone that Tim Cook and company have been, you know, focusing on for the past five years. Do you think that I, I think this made it less? Okay, okay. Of All right. Slow down here for a second, because I think in a lot of ways, this is still very much a, a continuation of jobs as Apple. Uh, you know, I think that the focus on machine learning, I think the focus on health, I think the focus on transportation, you know, we knew that, that when they were considering, should we make an iPhone or should we make an iOS device? Because it was originally a tablet before it was a phone. They were considering before that making an Apple car. 
And they chose to make the phone instead because making a phone was easier. And remember, making a phone was not easy. Making a phone back then was ridiculously hard because they couldn't get any of the carriers to agree to let the phone on the network. Mm -hmm. It was absurdly difficult. And you know, they, they, the reason they launched with AT&T is because they went to Sprint, they went to Verizon, they went to T-Mobile. No one would have them. They worked in on AT&T, and they had a handset that didn't even work. It wasn't even functional at the time. It was still running a test suite of software. They could barely show it and convinced AT&T to consider it. It was singular at the time. It was abominably hard, so hard that for a brief period in time, they actually considered becoming their own carrier, which would have also been disastrous. MVNO. No, be, being an MVNO is one thing and is not disastrous. Being your own carrier is. Well, there there was a talk that they would. Uh, they would there was also talk they would be their MVNO. I, but, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe they would try to be the uh, carrier. Look, that's, that's, now that's tough. Now, if they were an MVNO, I might be interested. You know, they, I could buy the actual grade plan and an MVNO from service from them. Sure, mm, they don't need it. They don't need it. But. What I'm what I'm saying is that I think that many of these things, you know, we we still haven't figured out. So, you you know the quote in the wall in the Isaacson book, right? Where Jobs said he'd figured out TV. Mm. Yes. The Apple TV fourth gen, as cool as it is, is not a, a we've figured out TV solution. So, what remains to be seen there that we haven't seen? Siri in- integration with a digital TV guide, on demand TV. And some of that's coming, right? Yeah. And then, you know, but but it's it's a very cool kind of thing where all this stuff is still out there. There's still things that, that were going five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago that have not yet been brought to fruition. But this is a huge, I mean, we live in an age of wonders, okay? And, and I know you, you think that's probably overstating it, but I want to tell you, I was reading this morning about a group of scientists who 3D printed ovaries and implanted the ovaries into mice that had had the ovaries removed. And the mice were able to conceive and give birth using these 3D printed ovaries that were transplanted in. Amazing. You know, and, and so anytime that someone tells me that everything that can possibly be invented has already been invented, um, no. New stuff every day. Every time someone tells me 3D printing is stupid, I'm going to remember. This is just about 3D printing, isn't it? No. But I, what I'm saying is that someone says 3D printing is stupid, and it's it's a plain technology that people can't take advantage of every day in their consumer lives. But to be able to to help people who've had cancer and had their ovaries removed, to help people who've been, been infertile to conceive, that is a huge leap forward. Right. And, and I'm going to tie it back to Apple by saying it like this. I, I think that a lot of, of medical practice is, is very, very brutish. I, I think that there are a lot of things that we do. I think dentistry is a bizarre th- practice right now where, you know, people extract teeth still. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it, the medical profession is very, you know, we're, we're not yeah. as far removed from biting down on, a towel and having someone saw your bones off with a hacksaw. Yep. We've gotten a little bit better than that. Thank heavens. We understand what infection is, but, but uh, you know, we're, we're not as far advanced as we'd like to think we are. And I think the advances are still coming and, and research kit and care kit and, and this glimpse, all of these things go towards it. I think we have a huge future ahead of us. Yep. I agree. 
All right. Well, I want to wrap this up. Give me a parting thought. Uh, Tim Cook, five more years. Yes. All right. Well, this is episode 83 of the Apple Insider podcast. Um, we have a giveaway. Uh, Distill Union is partnering with Apple Insider this week to give readers the chance to win one of five bundles containing a Stanley stand and an iPhone Wally wallet case. For the next seven days, Apple Insider readers can enter to win a bundle containing a Stanley stand and a Wally wallet case courtesy of Distill Union. The Stanley stand is the leather and felt exterior and a handicap cable pass-through that allows for easy charging of the phone, and it's compatible with phones and tablets. Uh, five winners will also get a Wally wallet case for the iPhone 6 6S or 6 Plus 6 Plus S Plus. And this case holds up to four cards and has a pull tab secret mechanism. And it's, it's very cool. And interests must be 18 years old or and reside in the U.S. No purchase necessary. And I'm going to go ahead and put the link in the show notes for us all. So we have that giveaway. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. Mikey Campbell, where can people find you on the internet? At Mikey Campbell 81 on Twitter and on AppleInsider.com. And I'm Victor Marks, and I'm at VMarks on Twitter and sometimes on AppleInsider.com. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast.